Hello, thanks for joining us and glad to see you today. Today is June 28, 2021. This is Greg Lois, and I'll be presenting a webinar today on off-premises injuries in New Jersey workers' compensation cases. We're going to be exploring the limits of what is and what is not compensable under New Jersey's Workers' Compensation Act. And we're going to be focusing on injuries that arise out of and in the course of commutes, travel time, off-premises, work-from-home type losses, and really trying to explore when and when those are, uh, cases are and are not compensable. Okay, today we're going to be talking about going and coming cases, off-premises injuries. Uh, but before we dive into that topic, I do want to talk about two new uh, case-level decisions that have come out, both by New Jersey's Appellate Division, on recent um, issues in workers' compensation law in New Jersey, which will impact the way we defend claims. So I do want to do very briefly an overview of some very recent cases that came out in June of 2021. Um, then we're going to dive into the overview of how we defend off-premises injuries. I'm really going to talk some nuts and bolts and go through some practical ways uh, these cases can be defended. If you have any questions today, please feel free to call or text or email me after the presentation. I won't be doing live uh, questions today. Uh, and the last thing is, even though I labeled this presentation off-premises uh, claims, really this is uh, oftentimes called to and fro claims, or going and coming, or coming and going. Uh, really any of these sort of uh, quick uh, uh, descriptors is how we're talking about off-premises cases. So if you've heard those other terms before, that's really about what we're talking about today. All right, the first decision I want to talk about today, and this is something very recent, it was decided on June 17th of 2021, is the Constanzo versus Meridian Rehab decision. And this case just came out and was decided by the appellate division, and it's a real interesting one on uh, claimants trying to bring in other body parts and really uh, how the court is going to evaluate uh, the uh, petitioner's expert uh, opinions in regards to medical testimony. So this is an interesting case. This was an accepted 2016 case for a left knee injury. At the time of the knee injury, there was an MRI. It showed no acute tear, no injury to the ACL. It really was treated as a knee contusion. Uh, it was treated and accepted as a left knee case. Sometime in 2017, the petitioner had a non-work-related accident. She was jogging or walking on the beach and sustained an injury to her uh, right knee. That's the opposite side. That did require surgery. Then about a year later, she brought a motion for med and temp after getting another MRI, which now shows mediscal, uh, medial meniscus tear and a displaced fragment in the left knee. Again, the left knee was established. It was treated conservatively. She has a superseding or a new injury to the right knee uh, and now comes back in 2018 seeking care for the uh, left knee again, showing new uh, pathology. Her uh, testimony was provided by Dr. Carrie Skolnick. Uh, this is a very well-known uh, petitioner's uh, expert who testifies all the time. And interestingly, uh, uh, Dr. Skolnick said that the left knee had been aggravated in some way or worsened over time, and this was all related back to the two six, 2016 data loss. Again, despite that MRI not showing acute injury at that time. The judge of compensation did not agree with Dr. Skolnick. 
He found him not to be uh, credible and found that the new findings in the left knee were unrelated to the 2016 accident. And so I just wanted to point this decision out. It is an appellate level decision. It is new. Uh, and it really uh, shows that the appellate uh, courts will rely on the judge of compensation in regards to evaluating the credibility of witnesses. The judge of compensation found the petitioner was not credible and then found the expert was not credible as well. This is something just useful to keep in your back pocket when you're defending those motions for men and temps. The second new case I want to talk about involves the second injury fund. Remember, the second injury fund in New Jersey pays when the petitioner has reached total and permanent disability and has a prior, and doesn't have to be work-related, pre-existing disability. A number of decisions came to the court at the same time. In fact, four of them. They were all consolidated for the same legal issue. These cases are entitled Wilhelm versus Ryder Logistics. That's the lead case, but there are four of them. Essentially, what the petitioners were doing in these cases were they recognized that they were collecting total disability from the workers' compensation carrier with second injury fund contribution, and they're also collecting Social Security disability. So they're collecting the two different types of benefits at the same time. Everyone recognizes that New Jersey is a reverse offset state, which means that the amount paid in workers' compensation and Social Security disability cannot equal more than 80% of the petitioner's pre-accident ACE, which is called average current earnings. Any excess is, is reimbursed to the respondent. So uh, if the petitioner is going to make more, for example, than they ever earned when they were working by uh, collecting workers' comp benefits and Social Security disability, we, the respondent and the second injury fund, if they're contributing, uh, get to take that offset. Now, the interesting thing here is the petitioners essentially argued that this was unfair because uh, they weren't getting the benefit of a redetermination of their average current earnings, which is allowed under Social Security law. It's basically a cost of living increase. Uh, there was a, not, uh, an, a large amount of testimony taken, including experts, including former director of the Workers' Compensation Board, and uh, legal experts came in to testify. And essentially, the appellate division said, no, there is no right to a cost of living increase, uh, and there are not due a redetermination of benefits. So this is important for everybody who's got cases in which the second injury fund is con contributing uh, or paying a portion of that total disability. You don't have to worry. Those are not being reopened and you will not be reassessed and have to pay more money at this time. So this is a good news for those uh, employers and carriers who are currently getting contribution from the second injury fund. All right, let's jump into today's topic. And we're really always focusing here on some of the fundamentals. And remember, workers' compensation injuries, uh, we're always going to be evaluating what, what is the type of injury, when did it happen, and where did it happen. And those are going to help us determine if it is going to be compensable under the New Jersey Workers' Compensation Act. So, you know, when we're looking at an accident or injury, we want to know that the injured person is, in, is the employee of the actual employer, that they actually had a specific injury, uh, that it occurred in the course and scope of employment, it arose out of the employment and it resulted in some type of medical impairment resulting in lost wages. Those are basic tests for compensability in this state. Now, the important thing to recognize here is just because an injury did not occur on the employer's premises doesn't mean the employee is not entitled to workers' compensation. And we're going to talk about the circumstances today when an off-premises injury is and is not entitling the petitioner to compensation. Before we jump into the uh, legal arguments, let's take a look at uh, what kind of discovery you'll be able to obtain if you are disputing that your petitioner's 
uh, injury occurred in an off-premise accident is not compensable. So just remember, in New Jersey, there's lots of uh, opportunities for discovery. Of course, you're going to be doing your three-point contact with the insured or the employer to determine what their opinion is, whether this arose out of in the course of employment. Uh, you're also going to be able to obtain police reports, initial medical records. I'll be looking to those to see what kind of statements did the petitioner make about uh, why this is or is not um, compensable. We're really going to want to look into those records and try to freeze what was the statements made by the petitioner at the time of the loss. Also remember that in a New Jersey workers' compensation case, interrogatories are allowed. You can serve a list of questions on the petitioner, which they are obligated to provide sworn answers to. It's as good as testimony. This is very useful when we're trying to understand exactly how the petitioner alleges they got hurt. Again, we're trying to determine if it arose out of in the course of employment. We do not rely on counsel's version of events uh, when we're determining compensability. In these types of cases, the ones we're going to talk about next, whether someone's in their regular commute, whether they're doing a special errand for the employer, the facts are going to be very important. So many going and coming cases are going to rely on a fact investigation. That investigation is going to be the key to whether the case is ultimately defensible. All right, let's talk about commutes in general. Your average person commuting to a fixed workplace is not in the course of employment until they get to the workplace. So in general, a regular commute is never going to be compensable. Again, we're talking about the average employee who commutes to a fixed workplace. The travel along their commute is not going to give rise to a compensable injury. That is included in our statute. Section 36 specifically states that. So this is not uh, open to interpretation. It's very clear. I'll also talk to you a little bit about the different types of employer benefits uh, in which you know, we may um, provide a tax-deferred or a tax-free employee travel account uh, that is available to all New Jersey employees under New Jersey's uh, 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 labor law. Um, that is not enough to make a commute compensable. The New Jersey um, uh, commuter benefit uh, does not include parking and it doesn't include tolls, but it does include, of course, mileage and wear and tear on vehicles. Uh, that Just the fact that the employer offers an employee benefit of uh, commuting benefits does not make that compute, commute commensable. Okay, it's not required. Of course, there's going to be exceptions and exceptions and more exceptions, so I'm going to talk about uh, the times when a commute can become compensable. So the exceptions include paid travel time. If you are paying your employees uh, their uh, hourly wages to, in, in, while they're traveling to and from the workplace, that is going to transform that regular commute into an incident of the employment and you will then become responsible for any injuries that occur during that paid travel time. In addition, if the employer provides the transportation, and we're really talking about point-to-point -point transportation for the employee, for example, you're sending a car transportation to pick them up and drop them off at the workplace, you are going to likely transform that commute into an incident of the employment because it will be required and that's going to be the important thing, uh, whether or not the employer is requiring that. There are exceptions as well for emergency personnel responding to an emergency, even if they're responding in their own personal vehicle and even if they are not on the clock at the time they're responding, uh, there is an exception to make that compensable as well. Now, another interesting wrinkle is that using employer-owned method of transportation does not necessarily transform the commute into a compensable event. 
What I mean by that is situations where the employer, for example, owns a bus company or a transportation network or system, and the employee is riding the employer's bus or transportation network in order to get to their regular place of employment. Uh, there has been case law on this which states that just because you're using the bus or subway or transit um, uh, uh, network that your employer actually owns, maintains, or controls to get to your regular job, that does not make your commute compensable. Unless they're doing something to further the interest of the employer while they're in that regular travel, that would not be a compensable event. All right, let's talk about where the employee goes to multiple locations during the day. And I'm thinking about someone who's doing outside sales, uh, who is managing multiple locations and is traveling between them. Let's talk about when their commute is compensable and is not as they go to multiple employer locations or required locations during the day. Uh, so first, where the employer has multiple locations, generally speaking, travel between those locations during the workday will be compensable. If during the workday this employee is traveling from site to site or client site to client site or employer site to site, that travel in between after their regular workday has begun is likely to be compensable. Uh, now what about where the employee has an established route or days in certain locations? So for example, they always go to customer location A on Mondays and then customer location B on Tuesdays and customer location C on Thursdays. The extent to which that travel is consistent and frequent, we're going to argue that that first trip of the day where they go to that first location, if it's always the same location on a given day, we're going to argue that that's their regular commute. So we're going to be able to argue that maybe that first trip from their home to their first location of the day is a regular commute and any injuries are not compensable. Uh, the fact that uh, the uh, person goes to a different location each day, it's generally not going to transform uh, that regular commute into a special mission. And so we should be thoughtful about that. Again, travel to that first location and home from that last location, again, if it is regular and consistent, I think is their regular commute. And we would argue that any injuries arising out of it and course of it are not compensable. So look to the frequency and the predictability of the person's uh, uh, schedule when determining if they are in their regular commute or if they are doing travel time between multiple locations. Another place where we see a lot of off-premises injuries is parking lots. And this happens all the time. I get calls constantly from clients saying, Greg, I have a slip and fall and it didn't happen at our location or retail location or our factory. It happened in the parking lot right outside. And I always ask clients the same three questions. And if you answer yes to any one of these questions, then it will be compensable. So the first question is, do we own the parking lot? If we own the parking lot where the uh, petitioner slipped and fell or had their injury or was struck by a car, whatever the case may be, uh, on their way into work or their way off of work, uh, yes, that's going to be a compensable loss. The next question I'm going to ask you is, do we maintain that parking lot? Uh, do we have maintenance and control over that parking lot? Is that ours? And if the answer is yes, it's most likely going to be a compensable loss. And the last question, uh, if the client says, no, Greg, we don't own the parking lot and nope, we don't maintain it, I'm going to say, okay, well, why were they parking there? Did you direct them to park somewhere in that parking lot? And a lot of my retail clients, particularly those who are in a shared retail space like a mall, 
will tell their employees, hey, we want you to park over here in employee parking lot C. And the reason we want you to park there is because employee parking lot C is really far uh, from the front door. And we want to give all the good parking spots to the patrons and customers. And we want you, our employees, to park really far away. Well, you can do that, obviously, as an employer. But what you've also done uh, by taking direction and controlling where the employee parks is you have now made that entire walk from the parking lot into your place of business a compensable event. And so you've transformed that into a regular uh, place of employment. So just be thoughtful about where the claimant has been directed uh, where to park. That's going to affect whether or not they can bring a worker's compensation claim. Now let's talk about travel time injuries that are not during a regular commuting hour. So really what I'm talking about here is when we're sending someone on sort of a special trip and for example, I'm thinking about going to like a conference or a meeting with a client or I'm going to some kind of special event uh, like a annual meeting for workers' compensation or something like that. And it's something that the employer is requiring. Uh, anytime the employer is requiring you to do some event, again, usually extraordinary, like a conference, a meeting, a once a year type of thing, that travel time is all going to be compensable. And should someone sustain an injury, for example, in the airport or boarding the plane or deplaning uh, or getting to the conference location, that would be compensable because the entire time they're on a special mission. Now, those injuries are compensable when the employee is, quote, engaged in the direct performance of duties assigned or directed by the employer, close quote. When the employee goes off on their own and says, well, uh, the conference is over and I'm going to take a side trip to go see the Grand Canyon, uh, that is most likely not going to be compensable. So we really have to always be asking the question, hey, were they doing something uh, that furthered the business of the employer, that benefited the employer? Or had they chosen to engage in some new risky endeavor that had nothing to do with the employment? So again, we're going to be looking to the facts when we're looking at these off-site travel time injury cases. All right, another uh, category of offsite injury is the special errand. And around here, that's typically when someone says, hey, I'm going to Starbucks, do you want me to pick you up something? When we say, sure, that sounds great. Uh, have we just transformed that trip to Starbucks into a special errand such that when the person leaves my premises to go get that cup of Starbucks uh, and they get injured, is that going to be a compensable event? So. Unfortunately, there's no real bright line rule as to when a special errand has become a compensable event, but we need to look to the circumstances and activity. Um, how close to their employment duties is it? Who's asking them to do these things? And really, I think the best way of thinking about these cases are when the employer encourages, facilitates, or permits the activity, how regular is that? And if it's very regular and it's being encouraged all the time, then guess what? It's probably going to be compensable. All right, let's go into our last topic, uh, which is work from home injuries. And of course, uh, as more and more people have been working from home uh, uh, due to COVID and, and quarantines and restrictions and other nonsense, uh, we've seen maybe some more work from home injuries. Now, to be frank with you, in my practice, we haven't seen a huge uptick in work from home injuries. And I suspect it's because if your job is amenable to being done from home, it probably doesn't involve lifting or manufacturing or things like that. And so, you know, we're really talking about desk jobs. Uh, when it comes to work from home injuries, yes, the home workplace uh, is going to be just as compensable as the employer's workplace from the purposes of determining compensability. 
Um, while these injuries at home are going to probably become even more common, anything that can happen in the workplace uh, that's compensable includes falling off your own office chair in your own house. I had one case where the uh, petitioner uh, stood up quickly from their own desk, struck their head on their own file cabinet, uh, gave themselves a concussion. Uh, it was obviously unwitnessed. It was a very questionable loss, but unfortunately, uh, without the ability to challenge that the compensability of that, uh, that had to be an accepted claim. So uh, the real question uh, is asking whether or not the person is required to remote work or not, and were they actually doing work at the time of the alleged loss? That's going to be key. I also want to draw a distinction that taking work home versus being required to do remote work or to or getting permission to do remote work are different things. There's case law in New Jersey, and the case is Lawhead versus Harleysville Insurance, in which the attorney working for an insurance company uh, claimed that his work injuries were compensable because he had some work papers in the trunk of his car. He was driving home from work and he got in a car accident. And he claimed that it was compensable because his intention was to go home and start working on some more work when he got there or review some of these papers. Uh, it was ultimately found not to be compensable because that intention uh, to take some work home and maybe review some paperwork while he's there, uh, that he might have had the intention, but it was not a requirement of the employment. They didn't tell him to do that. Nobody expected him to do that. And for those reasons, that's not compensable. So again, even when you're dealing with a work from home injury, it is important to ask the proper questions. Please go through your three points. Try to determine whether or not this really did arise out in the course of employment. And really get to the facts of these cases. I've had employees claim that uh, they had slip and falls in their parking, in their, sorry, their driveways uh, due to icy conditions, and that was somehow compensable. And our question was, well, what were you doing in your driveway? I mean, that's got nothing to do with the employment. You're out there walking your dog or doing something else. So you really have to ask those questions and determine if these work from home injuries are compensable. All right, so that ends our presentation for today. If you have any questions about today's presentation, please feel free to reach out to me. You can call or email me and I'll answer right away. I hope everybody has a great day and a great weekend. Talk to you soon.